Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. Hey everyone, it's been a great month so far with the show. No complaints overall, actually. I'm very fond of everyone who's been on the show and that I've been able to chat with. It kind of ranches the point about how the conversation itself, above all else, being why I do this. I think after the fact about the questions I could have asked or whether or not my interviews or interview questions are too recycled or too varying about how there's relatively no structure. But then again, that's a you thing. And when I say that, I'm thinking about how everything from editing, packaging, releasing it to sharing it and wondering if it's being listened to and what it's doing for you is important, but ultimately has less importance overall than sharing the moment of deep thought or laughter or whatever's happening between the guest and I. This is once again true with Jeff Bryant. It's once again true with Jeff Bryant, again, because Jeff was in a band called The Human Statues that was a guest on my radio show back in 2008 with Carrie Humphreys, and The Human Statues were a guest on my first podcast, The iTob Lounge, the same year. Uh, it was my introduction to Jeff and his personality and fine ability to articulate, as well as his songwriting and voice, and when paired with his collaborator at the time, Zachary Stevenson. I really dug those guys. I enjoyed seeing them perform their fantastic live show at a handful of venues in Waterloo. And 12 years later, Jeff, a solo artist, has released his debut EP, The Great Unknown, and is once again launching full speed ahead into that beyond. Real Jeff Bryant. You know, it's actually really funny that you've clarified that right out of the gates because I can tell you that just this morning, I uh, sent a message to an alternate Jeff Bryant, who's a musician in Austin, Texas. And the reason I did that is because having just released this album on some of the platforms, there's just like initially they get, you know, it gets confused and assigns the album to the wrong artist. So I just reached out to him just to, just to introduce myself and basically to reassure him that me calling myself the real Jeff Bryant (laughs) isn't like a shot across his bow. Right. And he was a super nice guy. And he's, we were already talking about collaborating. So there you go. There's the internet. The two Jeff Bryants might come together and end up doing a song. You never know. That's fantastic. See, in the, in the (laughs) nineties, you would have had to change your name to Jeff Bryant X or something. And it would, it would have, I never would have met the, the other Jeff Bryant. And so good things, good things happen because of the internet, including this conversation. It's so great to be chatting with you. I, I mean, I I would tell people not to Google my name because if you put Donald's into any search thing, it does not matter (laughs) if my first name is my first name. Oh, whatever. Right. That would have changed your experience of uh, your online presence the last four or five years, I imagine. Thanks a lot, election four years ago. But holy crap, what a, what an exciting time, though, back in 2008, right? Obama right. just became president or was just about to. And you weren't, right. a, you weren't a band called The Human Statues on my very first podcast and talking yeah. about MySpace. God damn. <laughs> and at the time, we, Zach and I, that was my colleague from The Human Statues, we so begrudged having to use MySpace at the time. And the only reason we did is because in Toronto, every time we went to a venue, like let's say the Horseshoe Tavern, hey, can we get a gig? You got a MySpace? Like that was always their way of clarifying whether you were the real deal. And we thought to ourselves, MySpace? We have thehumanstatues.com. It's way more dedicated. We always hated MySpace. Nothing against, you know, the 
people who did their best with MySpace, but now it's been relegated to the dustbin of history at where it belongs. <laughs> I guess I kind of just miss it because it's gone. Nostalgia? Yeah, nostalgia for sure. Thankfully, being an experienced person who in my earlier 30s used to regress, like live in the past, I visit <laughs> sentimentality with... Uh, I, I don't want to live in it, but I feel really warm about because it's all gold now. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to demonstrate the power of nostalgia that somebody could even be nostalgia about MySpace. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was rough about MySpace because, you know, I'm, I'm giving it a tough time. But what it came down to was with MySpace, you had the option to customize it pretty much as much as you wanted. And the trouble with that is that people's profiles became really difficult and grotesque. Like to, they were grotesque and difficult to navigate. Like, terrible fonts so when facebook was exploding at the time that was one of the reasons it was appealing was because when you went to everybody's page like you knew where everything was because it was standardized and that was always explained to me why myspace was was going to fail i mean i guess there is some nostalgia for us too because it represents that era of putting ourselves out there well if there's anything to genuinely miss about that era would be as could easily be said by anyone looking back at younger days, like you and Zach were a touring unit. I was in college still, just coming out of college. It, was, it felt a little bit more innocent. We always uh, yearn for uh, that feeling. But then how many music venues that we uh, might have called home or whatever or saw the human statues play at are no longer the same or even existing anymore? Well, that's actually what's interesting about talking to you now is with this passage of time, 12 years. And for me, eight years since the human statues called it a day in 2012, you know, this is very full circle and very nostalgic for me to think back to that experience that Zach and I shared, putting ourselves out there, trying to pursue a career as credible original musicians. And now trying to resume that for myself as a solo artist. It wasn't the case that when Zach and I ended the human statues that I immediately pursued a solo career. It's taken me, it's taken me eight years. So of course it makes me nostalgic for all the good things that we experienced together because I'm now really reminded of that as I go through this process, doing an interview with you, releasing the album. I did an interview for a local, the local paper in Victoria. It just reminds me of, of all the times, not just that Zach and I played music together, but that we sat in my bedroom, which was our makeshift office every day, trying to put ourselves out there and make things happen. It's, it's, it's a nice thing to look back on. Well, you mentioned some things right there. I'm just going to try to very quickly, at lightning speed, use myself as an example. I remember five years of being completely inactive as a musician. Mm. There was no output of anything in my life. I was leaning into like, just living and existing the life of a 25 to 28 year old without even thinking about it, without missing it. And then to ultimately rediscover what I loved so much about being out there and the things that were actually important. Mm -hmm. And for me, I thought it would be worth going after it and just pushing myself to be creative again, if only for this reason. And that reason was the magic uh, the magic of meeting people and getting to know them as a result of, of being in live performance situations. Like these connections we make, no matter how fleeting or even long lasting they can be, are something special. Like you are someone who, I mean, years went by since we last talked, right? So I'd like to know what the most special things, having had time distant from being involved in music, what were the, what were the things that 
really drew you back to the whole project of the the experience, making music and putting it out there? Yeah, well, it's interesting to hear what you just said because the idea that when you put yourself out there, you know, you can make new connections with people. And, you know, especially me being from originally from Victoria, we met up in Kitchener-Waterloo, right? Yeah. So for me, I mean, it's just, this is a perfect example of how it just kind of like, it shrinks the world to make those connections. You know, I, when I was, when I was young dreaming about playing music, there were a lot of reasons why I was intrigued by the prospect, but one of them was just making the world seems more available, just having the world open up. When you mentioned that, that really resonates for me because that's something that's kind of dawning on me now, now that I'm releasing the album. In the last year or two of writing the songs and recording the album, it's been really about whether or not I can find the courage to express what I feel artistically through these songs and not be worried about whether it's good or credible or it's going to set the world on fire, but really just do it for my own satisfaction in terms of expressing myself and what I feel. And but now that I'm actually releasing the album, I'm being reminded of, oh, it's such a it's such a beautiful way to revisit connections from the past and to make new ones. And you and I coming together to do this podcast is just a perfect example. You know, I put myself out there this past week announcing that the album's coming. I just see that you pop up on Instagram because you like to post. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Todd Donald, I should see whether he's still doing interviews and ask him. And then, you know, in a matter of minutes, we're putting it together. So that's a big thing for me is the opportunity to make the world seem interesting and adventurous and inviting and form connections with people because the world is a much more inviting place when you have lots and lots of examples of good people, the world around. And if you're just, you know, the opposite, if you live in your own head and you, you know, you're troubled by things and you don't have strong connections with others, you can feel very, feel like the world is an uninviting place. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Human connection is, I can't sing its praises enough. I mean, it really is the reason, the main motivator and the most enjoyable part of doing this podcast. 110%. Us both being musicians, I think there's something really special about connecting over something that you make, like an album exists on a very different plane, I guess, than a podcast. A podcast is ongoing, but an album plays a role in time stamping things and being timeless. So speaking of your beautiful music, and I'm not, (laughs) I shower my guests with a lot of praises it's because I genuinely have them. Like, I really feel about this way about your new music. You sent me some in advance. The Great Unknown. Jeff, yeah. it's, uh, we're going to talk about that more later, but can I just tell you how great it is? You can't. You know what? You can, absolutely can, because I feel that I know you well enough from the past. I already know that you're a genuine person. So for me, it doesn't come across as, as false or empty praise. It comes across as somebody who's passionate about music who's been open-minded about listening to my music and is responding to it. And again, it it opens up a larger conversation, but I'll just say for the moment, it took me eight years to become able to just try writing songs from the heart and face the fear of putting them out there. And I had to get to the point where I set aside any thoughts about what will other people think right and just know that it feels good to express what i feel so now that I'm, i have the experience to any extent of somebody genuinely connecting with the music i can't really tell you what that means because i just think about these last 8 years and some of it's been painful very painful at times to hear you say that it just makes the, it starts to like make the pain fade away i mean it sounds dramatic but it happens to be true 
podcast. This is from Jeff's EP, The Great Unknown. It's the opening track, So It Goes. Looks like you've got something to say. If you don't spit it out, I'm gonna feel it anyway. I was kind of hoping love would set us free If I'm honest, I've been thinking you've got something up your sleeve Ooh. Is it a little too late or is it much too soon And have we both considered how a lie becomes the truth? Yeah, I think you found another man that's gonna treat you right Even when you're gone, I'm gonna love you till I die So it goes So it goes you ever wake up inside of a dream and realize your life ain't exactly what it seems? Mm. Ever wonder if it's better that we never know when in between the pages there's a story left untold? Oh. Is it a little too late or is there much to do? And if we both consider we got nothing left to lose? Found another reason for the tears you cry Even when you're gone, I'm gonna love you till I die So it goes So it goes Rob on his podcast talks a lot about that, Rob Zabo. The role that external validation or motivation plays versus internal. Right. When, oh, yeah. I mean, it's good, I think, to be able to have a relationship with external motivation or validation that's not toxic. And the toxic kind is when it's in charge of how you feel. Because you can... Whoa, and- I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing external motivation or positive compliments or anything yeah. like that. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about that. There's nothing wrong with feeling overjoyed about that. But if that yes. is in charge of how you feel as opposed to you, it can be a negative thing because when it's not there, you feel its absence. It's the only <laughs> it's thing an, you think about. <laughs> it is an ominous threat. I mean, you're hitting on something that's extremely con- significant, consequential, not just for 
a, an artist or somebody that's putting themselves out there somehow with something they've created and sharing it online. But really, in the era of social media and quote unquote branding yourself on the internet, it's it's a topical issue for just about anybody. What's their relationship of going online and comparing themselves to others, and maybe you know seeking seeking encouragement, but maybe becoming obsessed with being liked and loved by everybody. And I, I think for me, I just think back to the younger version of myself, just as a teenager, trying to figure out who I was, having difficulty figuring out how to relate to people. I'm thinking about high school and ever since, really. And I, just, I remember being really frustrated in high school with seeing people succeed, in my mind, like succeed socially. But right. it didn't feel like they were being authentic, and I felt very dis- disturbed by that because I think I innately wanted to be myself, but it felt like being myself would not benefit me. And this, the shortcut is to be what people want me to be. And I think everybody has their journey with this. I think that it feels really yeah. satisfying as, as a person to try to be what you are, to resonate in your, your conversation with others by expressing what you actually feel so that maybe that other person sees you for what you are. And now something real is happening, but there's all these barriers to, to getting there for people. And we all have to work through that. And I, so I always think that being an artist is analogous to just being a person in the sense of, well, how do I express myself? Am I thinking to myself, what does this person want me to be? And how do I make them love me by being what they want me to be? Versus saying, what do I actually feel right now? How brave am I to say what I feel? And those two choices, they're the opposite ends of a spectrum and we live in the middle perhaps. But right. I think that if we if we don't make the choice to be vulnerable and be ourselves, we just miss out on, on the, the richness of life, right? So I think that's true for any person and I think that's true with sharing music and, and being an artist generally. I like the idea of characterizing the negative aspects of being an artist and putting yourself out there when you... When you haven't found that ground yet, it's kind of like all of the worst aspects of dating, but like for the rest of your life with art. <laughs> yeah, it's a minefield, man. I mean, this is such a rich topic. There's so much I can yeah. say, but again, again, for me, I feel credentialed, not because I've arrived at any conclusions. Of course, we're all just a work in progress throughout the course of our lives, but I feel credentialed because I've spent the last eight years being a person who's been very afraid and worried and really, really going on a path, I think, towards being embittered and cynical. And that's why this album for me is so profound because I don't know how the music itself will land for anybody else. I just know that it's an expression in my life of wanting to be open-hearted and curious rather than feel like it's all downhill from here because... You know, it, life isn't what I hoped it would be. Something, something like that. Oh, God damn it. Jerry Seinfeld, sometimes he can boil down to the essence. The cynical person's yes. only thoughts in three words are, ah, it's all over. Like, you know what I mean? And I think that, <laughs> the, like the idea that it's all over, like I've seen it all. There's nothing new that's going to excite me. There's Been nothing there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> Got the I mean, T-shirt. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the example of Dave. I don't know. Did you ever watch uh, Ricky Gervais's famous character David Brent from the original UK Office? That's the only Office I that I uh, keep going. So you'll know. Famously, David Brent can be summarized in one phrase: "Been there, done that, got the T-shirt." That was his trajectory. Yeah. He didn't work out for him with his band. Foregone conclusion. And the truth is, he was really sad or hurt by that. 
But the facade, the exterior, the performance, you know, around his colleagues or even for himself was, yeah, I, I did that, whatever, I get it, not interested. I remember watching that when I was 21 or something and thinking, I don't want to become David Brent at all. <laughs> like I was really <laughs> conscious. And I would say now at this point, now that I'm about four, I'm 40, which I think is about the age of uh, David Brent's character was, I'm realizing with this album, whether I knew it or not, I was going down that road to becoming David Brent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't curious about music. My relationship with music was very wounded. And even though I've made a living as a cover musician, and of course I love music, I was, I've been very avoidant of my own creative process and getting interested in other people's work because ultimately, if I'm honest, my heart was broken that I couldn't find my way through the wilderness. And now right. the great unknown means different things to me. For me, it's very rich, the meaning. You know, I'm very pleased at the title and the album art and it's all very intentional. And one of the things that phrase is about is the great unknown. What might happen from now until I'm dead, if I ha find the courage to be curious and playful. And I think the answer is interesting things will happen. I think I'll meet interesting people. And it's not even about a music career. It's just about, have, like you said earlier in the conversation, forging interesting, loving connections with others where you see each other for what you really are. And that makes you feel like, wow, this is a great opportunity to be al being alive is. Fucking mic drop. I mean, I want to keep talking to you, but we could end it right there. And that would have been, yeah. I we always leave the audience wanting more, Todd. We could just like, I don't know how far we, we just we leave it now. We call it a day and I don't screw, I don't screw it up by lacking profundity in all subsequent statements <laughs> related to the album. That's it for me. <laughs> if, if anything happens in the conversation that's not hitting that level of profundity, we will just edit it out and yeah. like put like a slide whistle after what I just said, and we'll just call it a day after the fact. We still got time. I mean, we don't even need to care what happens now. You said you said that. I hope we. I hope we. Actually, I hope we do keep talking because there's there's much more. There's much more to be said. Yeah, for sure. You, you you know that I'm meta, and that I'm I'm gonna explain to you right now that not as much in an interview sense. I kind of just want to put out there for you or anyone that needs to hear it. I think as human beings, we all need to be reminded this. When it comes to a point of thinking cynical thoughts, and I think I talked about the need to avoid cynicism with another recent guest, it's that a fucking 18-year-old, remember remember the age 18 and what that number means? Like Most people, if they had to pick an age that they could be again, it would be between 18 and 25. That's that market of the age you want to be. But an 18-year-old can have a very convincing argument as to why it's all over. You know what I mean? A 25-year-old <laughs> can be like, I've seen it all. I've oh, done it all. That's there's terrible. So sad. <laughs> but a goddamn 80-year-old can still be the happiest kid in the playground. I mean, hopefully oh. they're not on a playground. The point is, an 80-year-old can have the greatest argument to looking toward the great unknown with a smile. I mean, I couldn't agree more that that title is a beautiful symbol on your... as your EP title. I think it is true in our culture, we're led to believe that youth is, you know, like you said, that notion that you'll never get better when, than when you're young. You know, it's like when you think about advertising, it's always catering towards young people and yeah. being young and sexy and hip and cool. And of course, there's absolutely much that's great about being young. By no means am I going to say that 
being young is not a really rich time of life. What that overlooks is the idea that we're meant to grow. Everything grows in the universe. Everything on earth grows and we're no different. And we grow physically and we age and we die. But spiritually, we've been given an opportunity to live for a a brief speck of time. At some point, you, you consider, oh, my job is to grow. When we have concerns around love and family relationships and career and money and politics and all these important things that are a feature of our daily lives, we can forget that my job is to grow. And growing means like learning how to be a better person and whatever, however you define it for yourself. But I think everybody innately wants to be good to others. I think we want to connect with others. I think we want to be seen for what we are, as we talked about before. And so when I think about the young person who's feeling like, "Ah, I've been there, done that. It's all downhill from here. I, I, I want to be Instagram famous, but it's not happening. So it's over for me or something. It's like, I understand the mentality. I remember when I was 20 years old, obsessed with the Beatles, which I still am, mm-hmm. thinking, how old was John Lennon when the Beatles really became a big deal? I'm like, well, I guess he was like 23, 22, 23, 24, like first in the UK, then the rest of the world. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm 20 years old. If I'm not <laughs> as big as he is when I'm 24, I think it's going to be all downhill for me. <laughs> as insane as that is, even that just existing somewhere in my mind, contributed certainly when I was 32 to 40 on some level thinking oh yeah this idea of me expressing myself with music was obviously I'm a fraud and it's embarrassing and I gotta forget about that in other words just afraid to try because I'm so worried about that external validation so it's very rational I think to want to be seen and loved but it gets perverted for most of us certainly myself included by the idea of if I'm the biggest and best, and then that will be, it will be clear that I'm worthy of love. <laughs> right. <laughs> so funny. Uh-huh. Everybody's got their own version of it. Can I cold transition into um, asking you what your state of mind is? This being September the 5th, yesterday was the 4th, a.k.a. the day that you released The Great Unknown. Yeah. Give me this moment in your mind, just knowing that. Oh, yeah. It's out there now. Oh, man, it's crazy. It's, I'm glad you asked that question because I've, I've been giving that a lot of thought. I mean, so the way that a lot of this is new to me because releasing music has changed so much in the last decade. But right. the way I did it, and maybe this is true for, I think you can have different versions of how you, when you release your music. It got released at midnight in any given jurisdiction where it's midnight. So midnight local time, which right. means as the earth was rotating... my music was getting unleashed in different territories so when i was waiting for it to be midnight here in victoria i realized oh what time is it in south korea (laughs) and when i realized it was like 12 35 in the morning i immediately texted a korea a south korean friend and said can you see if anybody's awake and can they go on spotify and check this out so that (laughs) thus commenced going on instagram and saying this just in Theoretically, you can listen to this in Korea, Australia, Burundi, Switzerland, you know. And so I was just so, for me, I was, to answer your question, so excited about the fact that it was possible for people to listen if they're so inclined. I don't have any expectation that anybody outside my own orbit of friends and colleagues is going to, but just the fact they could was exciting. Even more than that, I would say the emotion is relief 
particularly these last eight years. But it's actually, it's been 12 years since the Human Statues released their album. So that's wow. 12 years. And when I think about being a 15-year-old who was so fascinated by John Lennon and the yeah. Beatles, and that inspired me to pick up a guitar, and how do you play guitar, how do you sing, how do you write a song, stand in front of people and not feel mortified, all those things. It's really, and for me, it's 25 years in the making that I'm, I'm releasing an album of my own and really trying to do it in a genuine, authentic way. And, and, and the reason I was fascinated by John Lennon, I see in retrospect, was that he came by telling the truth honestly. He wasn't a perfect person, but yeah. he was very committed to being truthful. And so I'm proud that I created something that feels truthful. But it took me 25 years, so I feel relieved. Relieved that I'm not going to die thinking, I was too afraid to try. You mentioned earlier podcasting you know it's episodic and the difference is that it's you keep pumping it out that's actually going to be my approach to recording music now <laughs> because i kind of want to use that template where okay i've released this album because i like using the word album because i'm nostalgic about that word but moving forward i think i'm just like every two or three months i'll release a new single at the end of the year i'll compile it into an ep i just want to pump the songs out like episodes. Maybe they're not weekly episodes, but I think that they'll be quarterly episodes. And I just love the idea of doing that from now until I'm when I'm dead. <laughs> Ain't dead yet. Might as well keep going until you're dead, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, that idea of get the gold watch when you turn sixty-five. I mean, and then go on a cruise ship and die. I just for me, one <laughs> of the thing I things I like about being a musician until I'm dead is it, it keeps you vibrant. There's a reason why you see a lot of old guys playing music. It's because they're, they're keeping engaged. Yo, this is track two from The Great Unknown, available digitally everywhere, therealjeffbryant.com, or search Jeff Bryant, The Great Unknown at any musical streaming thingy, and press play. Here's Jeff Bryant again with the song One and the Same. Another empty 
there's a line at the end of the lane But you're so far ahead I've been lost on the edge Of a sunset that's fading to gray We were always one and the same Can we no longer be? A ghost that still haunts me The girl that don't want me Is taking my courage away We were always one and the same As much as I've written a few songs over the years, and I'm proud of some of the songs I've written in the past, I really feel like I'm just, I'm writing my first good songs, good being defined as you're telling the truth about what you feel. And also there's this phrase that me and my friend Craig, Craig Way, who's an important collaborator in my life, we talk about trying to write songs that are catchy and honest. You know, if it's catchy, but it's not honest, you know, for us, it feels maybe potentially shallow. It can't, doesn't have the same resonance. If it's honest, but there's not hooking you, you know, people aren't going to listen to it as much because right. they don't have that need musically for any song you've wanted to listen to 10 times in a row. That's because it's catchy, right? So how do you make something both catchy and honest? And that's the bar I try to vault over. Yeah. But it's, you know, it takes, it takes a long time to even discover whether that's a possibility, you know? I'm going to get meta here and say that I have some questions because I want to dive through your artistic story, starting with the human statues, but I can't help yeah. but think it's a beautiful thing to maybe point out. I'm looking at the cover art for The Great Unknown, and right. it's this beautiful primary color dominated scenic painting, a beautiful painting. You see grass, water, a duskier, dawny orange sky trees but on the album some dark stuff in it that contrast is right there in your work that juxtaposition of that pretty colored front is containing some very real raw and reflective stories and experiences so do you want to do a deep dive into this album of yours i do i want to just take a moment to i'm so pleased with the cover again for the same reason uh, I am with the songs and it's because it's expressing something that's very real and very vulnerable and very true. About four years ago, I had a really tough year in 2016. I was in a relationship with a person that I deeply loved and I still deeply love. And I mean, I've had different experiences of depression in my life, significant depression, but this really was the time of my life where I, I came as cl- the closest I've come to really fully buying into that idea of it's over for me. Coming back to the David Brent, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I tried, right. I couldn't find my way and I give up. You know, I just, I turned my back on almost everything. I turned my back on all of my cover music opportunities. I would really wanted to break through and focus on being an original artist, but I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And I think it was a, an emotional problem more than anything else. I was just so consumed by darkness and fear. So I was in a really dark place. And at the end of that year, it really destroyed that relationship to a certain degree. At least the romantic relationship, we're still friends. But I realized I was in a deep hole I had to crawl out of. So I made a choice to come out to Ontario. 
I have a good friend called Chantal and I called her up and I said, I'm in a dark place and I know that I need to focus on healing. Like I need to go somewhere where I just start eating well and exercising. And my job is just to take care of myself. When I went to go spend that month with her, she was doing a paint night, (laughs) teaching people how to paint. And there was this image and I, I helped her have this evening, like organize the evening and just help set up the chairs or whatever. And she said, okay, you're going to paint as well. I said, oh, no, I'm good. My, my attitude towards painting was the same attitude that a lot of people, adults, have towards it. Same attitude a lot of adults have towards um, singing or a lot of guys have towards dancing, which is, oh, I don't do that anymore. I'm not good at it. I'm scared right. of it, basically. And so it's so fascinating to me that my reflex was not to try. She encouraged me to. I sat down and I tried. I painted this painting that we're talking about right now, almost three or four years ago. To me, it symbolized pulling myself out of a dark place. Huh. And when it was time, when it was time for me to now three, four years later say, okay, it's time for some cover art, I had a friend design a cover which I, I liked. It was great, but it didn't have emotional resonance for me because I was trying to come up with something that I thought might be cool or would look professional as opposed to being vulnerable. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, that painting is the perfect thing for me to do here because I'm insecure about this painting. I'm thinking, I don't know how to paint. It's childlike, it's amateurish. People, it's their first thing they're going to look at and they're going to think, oh, this is amateurish and this guy is probably an amateurish musician. That's my fear and my insecurity. But then I immediately realized, Jeff, that's exactly why you're going to use this because you're going to put your best foot forward by being vulnerable. Yes, maybe people will judge it and they won't like it, but you're going to know that you're sharing with people this image that depicts your vulnerability and your courage to try. And the image itself, as much as you're right, I I really love the sweetness and the optimism of the primary colors. But if you look at the tree line, which is in silhouette, to me, that's the unknown. What's going to happen when I go into that dark forest? And maybe the sun's rising or maybe the sun's setting. But when I go into the dark woods... Am I going to survive it? Is something good going to happen or am I going to get killed by, by a bear or by an evil witch or, what, or whatever the, the right. metaphor would be? Or the future so being, the, sorry, like, like, the, like the, the trees are in the distance as in the distant yeah. time yes. and you're alone in the water paddling your way there, which is also a metaphor. Fuck. Sorry, I'm railroading the, you the, by trying to add on your thing and I'm sorry, you keep Well, going. no, but actually I like your clarification because as much as a bear and a scary witch came to mind, <laughs> I actually immediately regret having said that because to me it's kind of doesn't really mean anything to me. Whereas what you said, it actually is what I'd like to say, which is it depicts the future. It depicts my life from now until when I'm dead and whether or not I, I see myself as standing on this shoreline or in this meadow And it's the question of whether I'm going to sink or swim. Am I going to give it a shot? For me, it really is the perfect invitation to, for people to listen to the music in terms of projecting what it means to me. It's bittersweet. Life is bittersweet. It goes up, it goes down. It's about being spirited. It's about tolerating pain and uncertainty, but you still maintain your playful, curious heart. And the songs are about loss. The songs are about the woman that I I love and we deeply have loved each other. And really the reason that we're not together is because of, I mean, relationships are complex, so I don't want to oversimplify it, but really fundamentally it is because of my own struggles with feeling insecure. 
and feeling lost. They're an homage to this woman that I love, and they reflect the heartbreak around that. When I wrote them, that's what they were. They still are that. But when I listen to them now, I realize it's also kind of a metaphor for your relationship with yourself. In other words, there's a song called On My Side. Yeah. Lyrics are about, I'm going to get you on my side. Ostensibly, it is about, I want you to believe in me and hang in there, and we're going to be together. But it's actually about, I'm singing to myself. You know, it's about me trying to get myself on my side. And when I go through all the songs, I'm like, oh, this one's about me too. <laughs> like, so they're all about her. And they're also all about my relationship with myself. And I think that the people we love in our lives and our ability to love them well, it's always a mirror of our ability to love ourselves. So it's always both things. It's interesting to hear some questions that non-musician or non-creative interviewers ask someone when they about an album or a song what a lot of people don't understand or haven't had the joy of experiencing yet when you make a song from writing it to recording it to releasing it you spend a lot of time looking at it from all different angles you've lived a lifetime with that song as your best friend you're able to say things about it and have had real new realizations about it in this glorious time of yeah. with the work and the art. So when someone who's not a maker of things asks a question, they're asking as if they think that you're, you just wrote it and re- recorded it and released it in that moment. <laughs> because cause yeah, it's like, it can live and breathe for a long time. Like for me, these songs have been mutating and evolving for a couple, couple of years, at least in some cases longer. And that, as you say, the relationship with the song continues to evolve. It depends. I mean, there's different versions, I guess, of of writing a song or creating something. Maybe sometimes it does just happen quickly and and there you go. But certainly for me with these songs, yeah, I've been living in them for a long time. First and foremost, living in the emotions before I found the words, before I found the music. Yeah. And then in the process of fleshing them out, that's another stage. And of course, this process of recording the songs that's where, you know, you're scrutinizing the songs closely for months, potentially, as you go through tracking different instruments and mixing and mastering. And, and you're always scrutinizing like a sculptor. You're like, oh, that's not the right. Yeah. I got to rub that edge out. So you're always looking for what's wrong with it. Yeah. And it's only been, I'll say that the other day when I first heard the album on Spotify, I was listening to it when I, every morning I listened to a new album. And I thought, oh, I'll listen to my album. And it really felt like the first time I heard the album, uh, not being a, a, guy, a craftsman who's trying to sculpt and refine something, but just as a person listening to another person talk about something he's feeling. And that was really interesting to me because I actually kind of had some separation where it's like, oh, I finished working on this song. I've like set it free. I'm no longer that guy. And that was like a really interesting experience. Meta. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The conversation with Todd Donald never ends. It will be happening with every subsequent release every three months until we're both dead. (laughs) Or I guess till one of us is dead. Hopefully a long time from now. Until both of us are bald. Wait. Oh, damn. We'll have to go back like 15 years. (laughs) Yeah. I was balding at 21. I was balding before I would have released Please Please Me. Yeah. Um, and when did you make the choice to, to just accept it and shave it? Oh, almost immediately. I, di- I didn't. Good I, for you. I was already like receding and pushing shit to the side. And then it like, it was really noticeable. And then I just said, yeah. this is weird to say at 21, 22, but I want to do this gracefully. 
I don't want to be trying to fool yeah. anyone. Oh, uh, well, that's the right choice to make. People, so, Todd, some people struggle with that for decades. I think that we're lucky because we more or less live in an era where it's pretty much, you know, people do shave their heads a lot. But if you and I were growing up in the 70s, we're talking like side part, yeah. whatever, because there, it just wasn't a thing really to shave your head back then. So we, I think that we're one part lucky to be in this gen- generation, this era. And also we should pat ourselves on the back for just seeing the writing on the wall and sucking it up, <laughs> just shaving it. <laughs> people get used to you as a bald man and then you kind of age better, you know, like, cause people just know you as not having hair. It's, it makes me think about like Steve Martin going gray or his hair going white in his thirties. Right. He seems so young now that he's in his seventies because you've known him to have white hair since he was a relatively young man. He has a great air of, I'm bold and exciting. And right now I'm calm about it. Like that's, that's, that's his aura to me. He's bold. He's bold and exciting. And we're both bald and exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say I have a favorite, especially on an EP loaded with five songs. I adore third spin time. I'm playing my favorite. And this one is called on my side by Jeff Bryant. Have to work this way. We don't have to say goodbye. We can meet in a hundred days. You know that I, I'm gonna get you on my side. You know that I, I'm gonna leave the rest behind.
together we can step inside the great unknown You know that I'm gonna get you on my side You know that I'm gonna leave the rest behind feel like we've done enough of the right kind of aspects of catching up that while I can't sing enough great praises about what the human statues did as I'm trying to play George Harrison talking about the Beatles in the third person, uh, what the human statues did was really great. I wanted to go through it originally because not to say that it casts a shadow, but to say that it is a part of the Jeff life story. It's a part of your experiences. Big time. How did it end? Like, it didn't end with, like, the end of a friendship, did it? It just ended because that chapter was over? Yeah, well, Zach and I sort of, we kind of segued in the latter. So we basically, we were, did, did the human statue thing for about five years. I'm so conscious of what a blessing that experience was in my life because I know that if it wasn't for Zach and our relationship and us putting this band together and having that experience, I mean, that was my education in this process not just the original music but just making a living also as a cover musician in addition it really was kind of like going to college or something you know in other words if you want to be a dentist you got to go to school for it you got to you got to have a foundation and it gave me the foundation to have the cover music career i've had since and now hopefully resume an original career and we it was a really special time in my life we had met in Victoria at the University of Victoria in 2002 and then it took a while but we ended up a few short years later in 2006 uh, recording a sort of demo live off the floor acoustic album called Sweet Sorrow for the Happily Departed and that was us dipping our toes in the water he was an actor a theater actor still is we were kind of in different cities. He was in Toronto. I was in Vancouver. And then ultimately in 2007, I moved to Toronto. He happened to be in Toronto. And we had this window of time to really feel out what it would look like to try to find places to gig as an original band and also to make money playing cover music in pubs so that we were committed to only earning income doing music, which is very bold. But we just knew that if we weren't doing that, we would always be pulled apart by different commitments. I think that's right. the story for like a lot of artists who, you know, the actor that works as a, as a waiter or something, it's hard to not stay trapped in that for a decade, you know? So in Toronto, we, we worked really fast to figure it out. And it was improbable, but we were intensely committed to the proposition. In fact, we initially said, let's just give it six weeks where we're totally committed. No excuses. No, oh, actually, this has come up. I got, I'll be back next month. We had such a good feeling about it that we said, okay, let's do it for a year. And we just kept renewing that sort of annual contract implicitly because it kept growing. And we had all sorts of 
experiences which we can dive into if there's time, but I'll, I'll fast forward a bit and say, in the latter stages of our career, we began to do the Buddy Holly musical in Vancouver and Calgary because Zach is a theater actor and he played Buddy Holly. So increasingly right. we did these theater performances, which were great. And it was a really great way for us to get our album out there because we'd be able to sell it after the show. But by the time we got to 2012, we'd kind of morphed into more doing that. And there just was less time for us to figure out what the path forward was. So it kind of just came to a natural conclusion. There was no behind the music uh, fisticuffs or anything <laughs> like that. I think in retrospect, I can just really plainly see that we went on this incredible journey together that lasted for five years and was featured by growth. We instinctively got to a point where it didn't feel like we were going to keep growing the way we needed to as individuals by just doing more of the same. And I think yeah. we just felt that implicitly. And now I'm sure he would agree if we look back that, yeah, it ran, it basically it ran its course. It was such an exciting thing that we did. And there was so much, so much that came out of it. It was probably a bit of a loss at the time for it to be over. But I think I just knew that I needed to grow as a person and I needed to find other outlets. So it kind of ended when it was supposed to end, I think. I want to say that the human statues and that the time that I met you and Zach, sort of reflecting on the thing about reflecting and how, how we look at our memories. Do we take joy in being able to remember things or do we wish we could go back and live in that time? I, I don't want to go back in time and relive anything. I, I love the memories because they're memories. Because of what you two did, you created a very special memory for me. I loved interacting with the band on the podcast. I loved seeing you guys perform the showmanship phenomenal please forgive yourself for uh having tunes that weren't necessarily deep and they were more fun than deep but fun music has a place in our hearts you know it does it absolutely does you're right about that um and yeah and i can always listen to the music and remember that the fucking carol that i know is timeless and you know what i do want to say i will say that as much as i made an illusion earlier that i feel like i'm just now hitting my stride as a songwriter that album was interesting it was a self-titled release in 2008 even a, a song like carol that i know i mean it's a very sugary sweet kind of pop song right. in a way if you actually just read the lyrics on a piece of paper i don't think that you would expect it to be a sugary sweet pop song coming back to what we said before there always was this contrast with the human statues where on the surface it, it was really pleasant and catchy but there actually was embedded in it some sort of something there under the surface and that story i it was never about something specific that happened to me but the lyrics seemed to be about betrayal right. <laughs> and like somebody's cheating on somebody or a relationship has failed she left the back door open. I let myself in. She's gone, and I'm and I'm hoping she won't find out where I've been. Right. Like that doesn't sound like a love song. It sounds like somebody's done something they shouldn't have. You know, and I never decided what those lyrics meant, but they just suggested an undercurrent of pain. The funny thing with the human statues, I have to listen to the record again. But if you listen to all those songs, you're probably going to pick up on some sort of pain that's trying to be expressed. And I know for me at that time. I can see with all this passage of time that that was about similarly a relationship that had failed in my life, a romantic relationship and me feeling really broken up about it. And again, just that being the dream of finding home, you know, I want to find home in a loving relationship with somebody else. And with time I can look back and say, Oh yeah, we weren't 
supposed to be together. But at the time, whether it was somebody I loved then or this other person I've mentioned I love now, it's really about just the dream of being home. So the, yeah, the human statues lyrics are, they're a bit deceptive actually. Back to the great unknown. Yeah. Did you already know that it starts in a minor key and ends in a major key? Okay. I know that it starts in a minor key. I'm trying to think how this, how the album ends. I hadn't, no, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, motherfucker. So you don't know. Ends with a major chord. I know. I certainly, I, I mean, this is revealing that I hadn't thought about it. And your suggestion is that having it start with a minor and with a major is like represents the bittersweet and some journey towards optimism or something? Something like that. I think that most people that make music, there are things that they don't even notice about their album, but I'd only be surprised because you're the type of person that would think about that and be aware of it. <laughs> I'm going to insist when we're done this interview that it never is released just so that <laughs> moving forward in interviews, I can, I can tell people that that was my master plan and they can all bow to my, <laughs> my brilliance. Hold, hold on. I think what I'll say, hold on. Let's, say about let, that, let, let's see this again. So, was that intentional that it starts in a minor key and ends in a major key? Well, it's funny you mention that because that's <laughs> something I've been intending to do my whole life and just was waiting for everybody to be ready for it. It took me 40 years to detect that you guys were ready for something so nuanced and uh, frankly ingenious. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting about that? I want to say what's interesting about that and so cool to me about that. I love the idea. I'm thinking as a songwriter with lyrics, but this is this would be another example, you know, the the chords or the how the songs are placed together and the journey from a minor chord to a major chord. I love the fact that I haven't noticed or considered these things mm. and somebody points them out because it might be that I did it unconsciously or it might just be that there was no no effort on my part to do that consciously or otherwise. It just shows that we all project on, onto the, a shared canvas or something. And right. I, I remember having that with a lyric. There's a lyric in uh, Man on the Radio, which is a human statue song. Um, oh, yeah, the, the lyric is steel that's slipping up and down my finger. For me, that's very specifically about temptation and cheating and having a loose fitting ring. And the ring falls off and it's a metaphor for cheating. A, a right. promise ring. That's what it means to me. But somebody else is like, oh yeah, steal that slipping up and down your finger. That's about a guy playing guitar, right? And I was like, whoa, okay. Like I had never considered that there's a duality of meaning. And I get so excited by that because my ego doesn't require me to brilliantly conceive of all the angles. I think it's more interesting when you put your work out there and other people tell you what the angles are. There's always this thing with the Beatles where people are reading so much into their music, their lyrics, whatever. And I think that, frankly, a lot of the time, it wasn't something that was conceived of by the actual Beatles. But I like that. I don't, I don't think there needs to be a perfectly crafted, masterful, what does it all mean piece of art. It's just like you put something out there and people can kind of see what they want to see. I think that's, I right. like that about art. I'm happy to talk about what it means to me. If that works for somebody else or that's interesting, that's really, that's cool. But I like the idea that the man on the radio was a song for me about cheating on my girlfriend, but for somebody else, it could be about something that they're going, they're trying to work through totally unrelated to my story. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I still remember either you or Zach uh, saying that man on the radio was dedicated to me when you were on the radio show 
or it was like <laughs> dedicated right. to Carrie and I. And I'm just like, oh man, it must be a song about a man on the radio. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a man who's on the radio and decided to shave his head because he was balding prematurely. There you go. Just like me. <laughs> So Jeff and I were just talking about another song by the Human Statues at the end there, Man on the Radio. But I'm going to play a song by them, the one that we were talking about earlier, Carol That I Know, doing this both because uh, that would have been the song that I put in regular airplay on CJIQ back in 08 when I was still on the radio. And because I have this really fond memory of doing what they called the breakfast dance or something like that at their live gig at old Maxwell's Music House in Waterloo. And my co-host on the radio show, and I were in the back being flight attendant examples of the breakfast dance. It was pretty funny. They were a band that really convincingly could activate the crowd. They weren't fucking around. They went as far as to uh, face paint themselves and dress up to look like statues who would just suddenly burst into song on campus. So talk about initiative, jubilation across the nation. Here's their classic, in my mind and heart, Carol That I Know by The Human Statues. Let's put me in a spin Is there a heart division? Is this the part where I come in? I chase the tail I'm in Oh no She left the back door open So I let myself in She's gone and I am hoping That she won't find out where I've been I lie when she comes in Oh no
I do have something that I've been starting to do for fun that that I'm legit enjoying. It's coming from an organic place, but I have like three to four, not lightning round, but kind of like a soundbite round. And it's it's surprisingly, even though I kind of like might rebelliously shun the idea of such a thing, it's 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 been really fun and enjoyable. So are you game to- I like uh, it. Oh, I, I love it because I'm so long-winded and so so verbose and so detailed in, in my responses. I love the idea of being concise. So let's do it. By the way, before we do this, I will definitely provide ample links for people to find the new music as well as like your online home. So The Great Unknown, awesome. now available. It is, yeah. I've, I've used DistroKid, so it's out Distro to all, Kid. all the platforms online, yeah. Really okay. like them. We can be meta and say like we know what what DistroKid is and where it goes, but yeah. uh, if 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 you need that helping hand with click clickety clacks, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are there's an episode description with it, and in there I'll provide links as well as of course I will link you to like the main thing depending on where you're looking at a post. So at Real Jeff Bryant, is that right? If people just go to therealjeffbryant.com, if I'm doing my job. I should make it really easy for them to figure out how to click from there. But yeah, all Spotify, Apple Music, and the list goes on and on. It'll be everywhere. And But if you go to my website, it's just the best way to, to sort of springboard wherever you need to go. So the, the, the real jeffbryant.com. Having talked about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tailor this to you because we were actually talking about this. You've been through this journey of having every reason to retire. You experience what we call cynicism planning your artistic retirement, as I might have read. And the end of that journey, in a major key, you released this beast of five songs. It's beautiful. It's that journey of the artist, right? With dreams, expectations, plans, different definitions of all those words, the emotional fucking weight that we bond to our promises or outcomes. And now I'm just getting flowery. The question that I'm going to tailor to that story is, what kind of role does being creative in your life need to play looking forward now into the great unknown in order for you to be happy or fulfilled? It's all about, for me, constant motion. I walk 10,000 steps every day. I plan to do that as long as I have legs that work. And it's the same thing for me with sharing original music. I intend to just do it as a matter of course, regularly. So motion. If applicable, what is the dumbest game app on your phone that you spend the most time playing? I don't have any game apps. None. Zero. I, you know, I'll, I'll say that I, I used to play Okay, 40-year-old Atari. I'm kidding, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I've got a better answer. There's a game called Taipan, which is from probably the early 80s that was on like a computer I had in the 80s that was just a green screen. That's how old it was. Nice. And I found it, an emulator for it, an app. And that is a game that I have played a fair bit on my phone in the past because it takes me back to being a child of the 80s. Taipan, T-A-I-P-A-N, Taipan. Nice. The second last question is, so now we got two more. What is the worst thing I or someone else could say to you? Um, it's over. You know, there's, you've run out of time. And what's the best thing that I or someone else could say to you? Keep going. Why does this always happen? What happened? What always happens is the thing that someone wants other people to say to them is exactly something that I have to say to them. Well, I don't know. So, so you must have manipulated me into saying what you want me to say. It was very no. clever. You're like a sorcerer. <laughs> I'm not like convincing myself that it works. 
Like I'm literally saying that in my heart because I mean, we're, we're catching up. So it, it's a really nice thing. It's a really nice thing to catch up and reconnect with someone who, who was a part of your lovely memory and still exists and is in the world. And I'm hearing this story of your journey in which stopping doing music for the longest time was like, it must have felt like an unstoppable thing because for for a lot of us, that's life at work, right? So fucking, now you're back. As of yesterday, you have this new EP out. By the time people are listening to this, you'll have put it out into the world in a live performance on the 12th. That's right. And I love this music. You are continuing and it's brilliant. I really, really hope for the sake of myself, selfishly as someone who wants to hear more of your music, that you that you keep going. So keep fucking going. You you bring joy to people, even if it's even if it's just me. I'm 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 enough people. I'm big. I, I can help. I'm happy to do it just for you, Todd Donald. I mean, that sounds <laughs> facetious and glib, yeah. but you have no idea when I say that. You know, I'm being <laughs> I'm obviously being somewhat silly when I say that. It's I have. You know, I'd like to play for more than just Todd Donald. But the thing right. of it is, is I do want to highlight that it is a genuine pleasure for us to do this for me equally and in my own in my own right, because this is for me the reminder that uh, I had an incredible experience with the human statues and I had an incredible experience like we talked about before of connecting with the world and meeting people and sharing a love of music and and sharing discussion about other things too and music is just was the way into that and i haven't been accessing that at all for eight years through original music you know i've had some joy in my life in the last eight years but my fear of music and original music has closed this door to all of this these wonderful possibilities and with you specifically because we had that interview 12 years ago and because of the enthusiasm you've shown since I said, Hey, could, could we have another chat? It's just reminded me. It's like, without putting too fine a point on it, you really in this moment symbolize the fact that there's a whole world out there that's willing to smile back at you and say, Hey, I'll meet you halfway. And that's what we did today. And I'll never forget it because this is something I hope to do for years to come. And this interview, which is now going to be documented and I'll listen back to fondly 12 years from now, is is it represents me stepping into the great unknown so jeff and i had another great half an hour chat after the interview respectfully ended because we wanted to and uh, there was some gold in there but what i'd like to do with that is maybe have a episode not too far down the line called jeff bryant bonus or something but i can't get over what a wonderful conversation that was and mostly how much i enjoyed being in it with jeff jeff if you're listening thanks again so much for reaching out I'd like to, in closing, present this crudely recorded by a 2007 iMac recording of the human statues and I in October 2008 performing All My Loving by the Beatles. And if you listen to episode four of this podcast, you'll hear the original interview with THS along with three song performances of their music. What you don't get there is this. And as the kind gentlemen they were and are, they acquiesced to collaborating on an impromptu performance with me uh, for my then YouTube channel, and to punish us old folks even more because of the fondness of memory, uh, I'm going to intentionally leave in all of the contextual introduction stuff of the time. Here we go. Welcome back to the Todd Donald YouTube. I have the human statues here. This is going to be the first of 
Beatles songs, Todd and Friends perform the Beatles sort of thing. This song is appropriate too because this is a, what, like an iconic song that represented the Beatles when they went to the United States for the first time, played mm -hmm. on the Ed Sullivan Show. That, it, yeah, that's the first song that they did. Too. And Zach and I are going to make our New York debut in, uh, in November. And it might not be as iconic, but, but we're expecting, you never know. You know, probably, I don't know, at least three quarters of the uh, welcoming party. We're expecting hey, at least ourselves. Go airports. to humanstatues.com. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always be true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you I'll pretend that I'm kissing Listening to another episode of the Todd Donald Show, starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by JP Sunga, who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock, in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. 
Have a great day, friends. Thank you.